Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. He takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0, and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall, the teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars, and that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal, soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, what's up and welcome to another Buzz Beat, your Charlotte Hornets podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This is Richie, and I'll be joined by Spencer and Brian today. And this episode is brought to you by our partners, betonline.ag. On today's episode, we're going to get to handing out some report card grades to these Charlotte Hornets players as this season is complete and cut short at 65 games. Uh, If you missed our last episode, we unveiled our top 10 players on our big board for the October draft. Uh, It feels weird to say October draft, but that's when the draft (laughs) has taken place. Uh, So give that a listen if you haven't had the chance already. Uh, But guys, I do have a confession to make. It's a little bit uh, ashamed to say this. I, uh, while you guys were doing deep dives on some draft prospects, I was going down a rabbit hole on TikTok. I, downloaded the app the other day. I don't know why I did it, but I spent hours and hours on that app, and I'm a little bit ashamed to say that. I got to delete it because it's a waste of time. I'm not really sure what the purpose of this app is, but it does make me feel a little bit more hip, I guess. Do you guys have this app? I do not have TikTok. Uh, I'm aware of it. I, uh, I respect a lot of the creativity that I see that either makes it to, uh, to my Twitter feeds or my Instagram feeds. And I have a couple friends that have accounts and seem to get a lot of fun out of it. But no, I myself have not made the plunge. Um, and I'm not sure if I will. My like social media usage is sort of like maxed out already right. with, with Twitter and in uh, and Instagram. Um, so I'm, I, but I respect, again, I respect people who are into it. And uh, again, some of the stuff, some of like the, the content on it is genuinely uh, creative and funny mm-hmm. too. So yeah. 
Yeah, I don't I don't have TikTok either, but um but yeah, like Brian said, when it makes it to Twitter or something, I've definitely laughed at, at plenty mm-hmm. of things that were produced on TikTok. Um that whatever the generation is below ours, right? Uh, Zoomers. Zoomers. Zoomers or Xers or, or Zers or whatever yeah. they are now. I, I think yeah. that you know that this platform is probably catered more to them. But it reminds mm-hmm. me, you know, it, it does have the Vine yes. uh, yeah. similarity to it for sure. Yeah, it does. And I used to love Vine. I used to use Vine to cut up <laughs> Hornet's highlights back in the yeah. day. Vine, Vine is like an underrated and like, like you know, gone but not forgotten app. You know what I mean? Like it should have, it should have lasted longer. It was really, really good. Um, it was. Sort of, it's sort of unfortunate that it got it got buried, but because it was amazing at the time when, when it was like actually a thing. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna have to delete this app soon enough because it's it's just I, I get like buried in it just lose hours of just watching people do stupid shit and creative dance videos and and singing and stuff like that so all right so we're going to go ahead and discuss each player well not each player seven of these hornets players on the roster one by one by giving out report card grades here this will be part one of the series with part two coming out next week Uh, i didn't really know how to separate these players within this series so i just decided arbitrarily to break it up by uniform number so the the first seven players that we're going to be discussing today are bridges monk rosier graham batum mcdaniels and we'll round it out with Dwayne bacon I'll go ahead and say this. Uh, we won't be discussing Marvin Williams or MKG in these episodes uh, just because they're not currently on the roster. But uh, those players did play, especially Marvin Williams, play a significant role on this team this year. Uh, so I told Brian and Spencer before uh, that these grades will be kind of on a slight curve here. We won't be grading them on how they compare to other players in the league. Uh, we're just going to be judging them on their kind of expected role and maybe some preseason expectations of these players and then just how they fared in that role. And and, and, I mean, we're going to be factoring in performance, obviously, but it could get a little bit too depressing if we're trying to base it off all the starters on, you know, across the league. So everyone good on those parameters so far? Okay, good. So let's go ahead and jump in uh, and start with Miles Bridges. He averaged 31 minutes, 13 points and six rebounds in his second season in the NBA. I think coming into this season, there was a lot of discussion on how he and PJ would operate together. I know we had that question come up a lot on our podcast, especially like right after he was drafted, uh, PJ that is. I think for the most part, they did benefit playing with each other. Uh, As far as his role, Bridges was primarily a spot-up guy. Uh, He wasn't used a ton on ball. Obviously, his usage went up, uh, and that was kind of to be expected with this change of direction with the team. So I'm actually going to start with his negatives, guys. I, I think I was a little bit disappointed that he couldn't really find more consistency in his shot. You know, right now, if you were to just kind of judge him on his three-point shooting, he's he's average. Like, he's inconsistent and he's average. And, and also, a lot of, another part that I, about his game that you would think that would be good, because he is so athletic, you would think that a player that can get up and down and transition uh, would be someone that could score in transition. And, and he's not doing that. He's a poor transition player, scoring only .95 points per possession on those types of plays. So I, I'm just going to open it up to you guys what what kind of like negatives did you see with bridges that kind of are holding you back on this guy kind of making uh coming into his own uh as a small forward slash power forward in this league yeah i mean with miles you know it it definitely seemed like uh you know judging off the eye test that he took some steps in the right direction this year and Mm -hmm. and i you know i kind of stand by that i think i saw some things that i liked more of i think he got better defensively 
he was locked in more often, not often enough to be sure. But um, but then then you start really looking at it uh, from a holistic uh, view, and it and it doesn't look good. It really does not. Um, the shooting numbers are down across the board, all very much below average. I mean, you, you look at his effective shooting below forty nine percent. Um, you know, the, the one area he got better is just his three point percentage. I mean, he shot less than four or just over 42% from the field last year, less than 49% on two, you know, from a two point range. Um, you know, total shooting percentage is 52%, which is well below league average. Um, it's, it's, and, and, and so you add all that into, you know, the next layer of his game, you know, the defensive end where he, he really doesn't impact winning often enough. Um, and it's really actually, I think, a little bit more disappointing from a 50,000-foot view than, than I even expected it to be. And I, and I know it wasn't going to be good, but it, it's re- it, it doesn't reflect maybe some of the steps that I, I thought he took just judging off the eye test. So, And, you know, like the transition point you brought up, Richie, that is very, you know, Charlotte was the slowest-paced team in the league right. last year. So a lot of that is anchored and tied to the team concept. Um, but... I think it's I think it's totally fair, and and I think that the fan base is probably split on this one, which which is good. I think it makes it makes for healthy conversation. But I think it's totally fair if you're worried about Miles, like have have legitimate concern about him as an NBA player, and and I, I certainly do. He he did not outside of that three point shot take significant step forwards in really any statistical category last year. Yeah, I think it's a fair point you bring up that it's it's fair. It's valid to be to be concerned you know this was his age he just turned 22 this was second year in the league age 21 season he certainly got to play with the basketball a little bit more and like you said i think like spencer said i think a lot of people were expecting some you know obviously an increase in usage which did he up to 19 percent usage this season from 14 a year ago which is really low but you know he really found uh after he got beyond the rookie wall last season he kind of found a second burst of of uh of production by playing off of Kemba late in the season similar to Dwayne Bacon um in those lineups with Frank Kaminsky and, and just attacking closeouts and playing off advantage created by by Kemba's pull-up shooting and you know that was gone this year even though Devontae certainly brought a fair amount of that to the table as well but just bridges with the ball more he's still 15 percent of his field goal attempts, corner threes, which is right, right where he was as a rookie. It's a good number. And that's something that like, I mean, the Hornets are just going to produce that you've, we've heard James Borrego talk about this. We've heard uh, Dutch Gailey talk about this, just like where this is, this is where the team's going to target and miles by playing the three and the four for Charlotte, he's going to get up a fair amount of those shots, which is great. But, you know, he took a lot of, you know, he played on the ball a little bit more this season. And I think there are some interesting aspects to his, like, sort of freewheeling drive game. He shot 55% on post-ups. They like looking for him on those little high-low actions. And he he shot a good number on cuts and stuff like that as well. I think 69% field goal percentage on cuts. But it's the freewheeling drive game because that's – it's nice to see. It's like at times because it – it perhaps shows that he's there is something more to this guy than just like a you know closeout beater, um, spot up closeout beater. But too often it leads in either not getting all the way to the rim, and his percentage field goal percent field attempt percentage of field goal attempts. Jesus, I got can't talk right now. Uh, for his rookie year, forty eight percent of his field goal attempts at the rim. Second year, thirty nine percent. 
21% of his field goal attempts came on that little short mid-range volume, according to Cleaning the Glass. That was in the 70, 76th percentile for forwards. Um, so he can't quite get all the way to the rim off the dribble, and he doesn't have much of a pull-up game, even though the numbers on an incredibly small sample are like, okay. So, yeah, too often I feel like when he's creating on his own, it's not. It's usually not going to create a shot for someone else, and his decision-making is like a little perplexing at times. And a lot of times it's not producing a good shot in the half court. It's, it's a lot of these, these floaters, these offhand floaters and stuff. Um, and it causes him to have to shoot over shot blockers and use the glass and all these other added variables that, that, uh, that may just make the shot that less, you know, you know, less efficient than, than it would just be a, a normal catch and shoot three. So it's cool that he's able to like branch out and try that stuff. It just, it didn't quite have the success this season that I, I think, you know, extremely optimistic expectations may have had uh, him slotted for. And I think that's going to hinder his progress as like, you know, where, where his ceiling is. If, if he can't play with the ball in his hands and he's strictly going to be a guy that spots up in the corner and he loses his handle or has turnovers driving the ball or he can't get all the way to the rim, like you noted there, Brian, that's definitely going to hinder his ability to get to where he can get, you know, as a, as a player in this league. I think, you know, as much as the, the stuff that we've been talking about with the negative side, I think there are some encouraging signs for him. Spencer made a mention of maybe his, his statistics going up on the three-point range, but he is a very good offensive rebounder and creating second-chance points for Charlotte. Uh, and I think one underrated skill this year, and Brian mentioned it, was his ability to score out of the post. I mean, I think Borrego took advantage of some switches or that high-low action that Brian was mentioning. Playing in that three position instead of the four, it allowed him to kind of use his size and his athleticism down there to, to score down low in the block. It's not like he had post moves by any means, but he was just kind of quick, used his power, went up, mm-hmm. and he was just decisive in the post. So, you know, credit to Borrego, but also credit to Bridges there. Spencer, any more uh, thoughts on Bridges here yeah. before we get to the grades? Yeah, I just wanted to add a few things. I mean, my biggest concern with Bridges is just, I mean, moving forward, trying to project what he is for this franchise. is he, the, the team is just, and, and it wasn't better last year either, even playing with Kimba. He, the team's just not as good with him on the court. Yeah. Like period, they're just worse with him on the floor from uh, you know from a holistic view. So now, one thing I do think is interesting. This is per Basketball Reference, so you know take it with a grain of salt on whether you trust this or not. But the position estimate last year, Bridges played about fifty three percent of his minutes in his rookie season at small forward. This year, he played seventy two percent of his minutes there. Yeah. Last year, he played about 47% at power forward in this, uh, in this season. He played 25 minutes, or excuse me, 25% of his minutes there. I think that's interesting because the numbers look worse across, the advanced numbers across the board look worse this year. So you could tie some of this to a, a, a positional concern. Mm-hmm. And, and so maybe that makes this look a little bit brighter. But yeah, I don't know, man. Like Bridges kind of find, he's got to find a way to become to make winning plays more often. And and that's one of those things, Richie, we talked about this in the draft pro- prospect episode is like, can you teach that stuff? Can right. you develop those kind of instincts? I, I'm, I'm not sure that Bridges is ever going to get there. Unfortunately. That's see, that's the, then we're really getting to the crux of the issue. Cause it's like, if the like off the dribble drive stuff and decision-making is never going to be there, then it's like, what he's got to figure out is, you know, he's a three, four, three and a half, whatever, um, three and D guy, but like, he's got to get better on in terms of team defense, like way better. And I think, I think this season, especially later in the year. Yeah. There, maybe he sort of like was, was sort of rounding into form a little bit, or at least there were some slight improvements, but yeah, in terms of P uh, PIPM minus 2.77, 
Offensive uh, PIPM minus 1.2, defensive PIPM minus 1.6. Yeah, I mean, it, teams can still go after this guy with off-ball actions, and it's something along with the shot selection. I think it's the two real sort of biggest things this team needs to iron out. And if I were the front office and the coaching staff, I think almost specific to Bridges, the amount of time off in between when this team's going to be able to play games Bridges is maybe like the most frustrating or, or concerning singular aspect of that because Miles just needs to play basketball. Like this guy just needs, he needs reps. He needs more. He needs, he needs, you know, there's just hundreds of defensive possessions that have just flown out the window. The only way for that thing to possibly go on is like this guy just playing more and more basketball and getting more comfortable as a team and help defender because like I feel pretty good about him as a guy that's, willing to shoot and is going to shoot in the mid to high thirties on catch and shoot threes. You know, I, I, I feel like you can project out to that, but it's like, what else do you have other than that? You know, of course the athleticism is, is great. He's a terrific athlete, but I feel like you just don't get to see it in all these amazing ways because like, it's not there as like a help side rim protector. Uh, you, Richie, you did say the the offensive rebound stuff, but we, you don't maybe see it in transition. You don't see him, beating guys off the dribble and getting to the rim, you know, splitting a ball screen and getting to the hoop for a dunk. Like it, it doesn't show it manifests itself in those truly, truly, truly impactful ways. And I, especially on the defensive end. So, um, you know, miles is an important piece for this team, you know, going forward. Uh, you know, certainly all of these guys can be at this point, there's no one that's irreplaceable on this roster, but you, know, you still got two more years to figure it out with him potentially before, you know, before the rookie contract is up. And, um, yeah, you know, it'd be interesting to see what he looks like after the, after an extended layoff next season, because this off season, and it's probably not fair to put this, this level of expectations on what's going to be a scrambled and scattered off season. It's huge for him. Like it, it will determine a lot with his arc as a, uh, as a, as a, as a young player in the NBA. All right. So let's go ahead and give our grades for him. And you can use pluses and minuses here uh, to get as specific as you as you can. I might be a little bit harsh. Maybe I'm not. Uh, I'm going to give Miles Bridges for this season a C plus, a C plus. I, I thought that he was above average, I guess. I guess that C plus makes, means it's above average. But there's some things that we just talked about that were a little bit disappointing for me. I'll give Miles a C. Um, you know, again, I, I thought the three-point shooting was nice to see that come online a little bit more. But uh, and and I want to be fair. I mean, I kind of lean more towards like a C minus. But I do think you take Kim off the roster, and the game gets harder for right. a guy, a young guy like Miles. So you have to anchor some of this grade to that. So I'm going to go with the C. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you guys. I went C, sort of in between a C and, and a C plus. Just like you said, great point about you know you take Kemba off, things get more challenging, but just not enough. Kemba does has nothing to do with your 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 the team defense. And again, I, Miles. Right, right. Made some, improve, made, yeah, yeah, made some yeah. improvements later in the year, I think, but not enough, and really not enough of an overall jump. So yeah, I went, I went see. All right, let's take a break real quick. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. 
BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right, let's get into our next player. We might have to go through these players a little bit quicker here. Uh, we have Malik Monk here. He averaged 21 minutes, 10 points, three rebounds, and two assists this season for Charlotte. Uh, his season was cut short, even shorter than the rest of the players uh, in late February as he received a an indefinite suspension. think maybe this could factor into some of your evaluation here, but I'm sure the on-the-court stuff is kind of how we're going to focus our attention with Monk. BG, I'll let you kick it off with your assessment of Malik Monk this year. Yeah, the uh, advanced numbers don't tell a great story, and uh, and, and that's why you've got to kind of I think with Malik this season, rely a lot on on film, perhaps more so than maybe any other player on the roster. You know, maybe you can talk, we can factor PJ into that equation too, but minus three PIPM, minus 1.55 defensive PIPM, uh, luck adjusted on off net rating of minus 5.45 points per 100 possessions, second worst on the roster. But look, I think, I think Malik's point of attack defense was solid. And I think there was some even uh, improvements as a help defender, both with a little bit of rim protection here and there, and just his ability to sort of like lock in and be less confused by off-ball actions. Think back to like what Brad Stevens did to this guy um, when the Hornets would play, you know, the Celtics 2017 to 2019, just the, the mean things, all of the, the loopy back cuts and screens Boston would do that would just cave in. The Hornets, if Malik was out there, really anyone else on the roster for that matter. But uh, I mean, the story of Monk's season was his ability to get to the rim, right? I mean, we've talked about it all the time on this podcast, but 38% of his field goal attempts within four feet, that's up from 25% last season and 14% as his rookie year. And he shot a good clip above 60%, I believe, on those looks at the rim 64. too. So his, yeah, 64%. His ability to get to the rim, plant jab step and and crossover and get downhill and transition or in secondary offense or, or hell even in the half court some too maybe you know playing off a little bit of advantage created by a, a you know Devante pick and roll or whatever I thought was really impressive uh he was just gung-ho getting to the rim this season and, and I was sort of a, a knock on Malik uh, especially going back to his rookie season he's still so young I mean this was his age 21 season his role's been jerked around a lot. Multiple coaches, you know, certainly a different ball game for him playing without Kemba now, too. Uh, obviously, the catch-and-shoot numbers never came online weirdly. Uh, you know, he just could not hit a three-pointer this season except for the the one-game winner against uh, Detroit. That sort of stands out. But he had some big games, and I thought there was enough stuff on film on both ends of the court that was really encouraging even though obviously the 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 shooting numbers from distance i think they're no i'll be curious i'm really curious to see what it looks like next season um if there is some you know uh, some regression to the mean for malik in a, in a positive sense and just to see you know if he can turn into uh, more of a winning back i think he already did become more of a winning basketball player this season but if that can sort of bear itself out in the the data a little bit more because again as you like for the third year in a row with malik the the catch-all numbers are not um not pretty even though i think he made a lot of positive steps this year yeah i would agree with with basically all of that the story doesn't look great uh when you look at the advanced numbers but i i do think i mean and really you almost got to just magnify into the month of February, which is nine games and really, really watch those games and say, okay, yeah, I buy into the fact Malik was playing harder. He was playing more focused. He was certainly playing smarter. 
uh, he was just more effective as a basketball player. I mean, in those nine games, you know, in February, um, shoots almost 39% from behind the arc, um, total shooting percentage over, over 56%, um, was playing almost 30 minutes a game, scoring 16 and a half points per game. Uh, I mean, it just, it really started to happen for him. I think about the back to the Minnesota game. I don't remember the exact date, but I, I have never seen a Malik Monk, uh, that engaged defensively. And I think he was, uh, I think he was matched up against Malik Beasley a lot in that game and, and really, like, punked him. Quite good a good player, too. Like, a yeah, good yeah, player. Yeah. No joke. Like, a legit NBA wing, too. Yeah, that, yeah, right. Was he a free agent this offseason? Yeah, yeah, he's a restricted. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised to see a dumb team throw him a big offer sheet. So, yeah. you know, but, yeah, he's he's a good he's a good player. And Monk just had – he just had a different – he was just, like, playing with the chip on his shoulder in, in February. I'm, I'm, I mean, who knows, like, what caused that? Uh, but it looked like a guy that was hungry, finally. And the rug was pulled out from under his feet, you know. So you, you kind of hate to see it. You certainly hope he's in a good mental space to where he can come back and, and hit mm-hmm. the ground running where he left off. But I, I saw enough from him from a playmaking standpoint. Brian talked about him getting to the rim more often, finishing their 67, 67% clip, which is an awesome number, um, distributing – I mean, I, I, I saw enough from that and just literally playing harder defensively. You know, maybe all the, the fundamentals aren't there still, but just playing harder that if the outside shot comes online, like now we have an NBA player. Now we have yeah. a rotational player, a legit six man, if not a starter. You got to figure out what his right role is. But it's just, I don't know, like who would have ever been able to predict that he was going to struggle to shoot the ball coming out of Kentucky the way he has. I mean, it was just – Nobody would have thought that he was almost hands down the best shooter uh, bomber in that draft. So if that part of his game comes online, then I I really feel good about what lies ahead for him in Charlotte. Yeah, I think that's the thing that kind of gets me. I I thought that was going to develop from his rookie season till now. I thought he was going to develop that three point shot. I mean, he's still he's still really good at coming off of screens and, and, and Charlotte does that a lot for him. But it's not necessarily for the purpose of him getting an open look behind the arc. He almost is just like a a point guard in a way, the way that he play makes with the ball in his hands, the way that he can get all the way to the rim. It's like a totally different player than he was at Kentucky. And even the difficulty in which he scored some of these shots at the rim were very high. Um, He just explodes towards the hoop and he just finishes so calmly around the rim. And then getting to the control is really good. Really good at the hoop. Yeah. Yeah. And then getting to the defensive side and Brian, you mentioned this, I think he has improved, you know, which is an area that he needed to prove on, on the defensive side. He still may struggle kind of navigating screens, but overall I would just maybe consider him an average defender. I don't know if I would, say above average at this point. I mean, he's, he still kind of gets hung up on screens, but to, to Spencer's point, he did compete a little bit harder and you kind of, you kind of feel that a little bit as you're watching him play this game. So to wrap up my grade for Malik Monk, I'm going to give him, I, I kind of teetered back and forth between two grades. I'm going to give him a B minus. I almost gave him a solid B, but I factored in the failed drug test as, as nitpicky as that sounds, I think mm-hmm. that reliability and, and kind of staying on the court is something that I would hope to kind of factor into my grade. So I'm going to give him a B minus. I, I really on court performance is probably closer to a B and he did exceed my expectations coming into the season. But as we've all stated, he just needs to have that three point shot materialize a little bit more. I, I'm going to get, I'm going to go with incomplete here uh, because I, I'm just, I'm, 
my mouth was watering when he was suspended. Like I was really starting to, to like to get excited mm-hmm. about the monk that we were seeing. And really until those last 10 to 15 games that he played before the suspension, um, it was, it was inconsistency. It was like, kind of like we had seen, you know, his whole career. So I'm going incomplete here. I mean, I understand he played 55 games. He almost played 1200 minutes, but I just, it, it, the way it ended, I'm just not comfortable giving a grade here. Yeah, I was in between two grades as well. I went with the, the, the slightly higher one. I went B minus two, actually. Richie, just want to throw a couple last numbers out here real quickly. On spot-up possessions where Malik Monk drove to the basket this season, 74% uh, field goal percentage, 1.6 points per possession, 98th percentile in the NBA um, spot up possessions where someone threw it to him out of the pick and roll, you know, probably Devonte, most likely maybe Terry, but probably Devonte Malik Monk, 1.37 points per possession, 67% effective shooting 95th percentile in the NBA. He shot 60% at the rim and the half court too. So it wasn't like this guy was just leaking out in transition and cherry picking to, to boost some of those those uh, rim numbers. I mean, he was doing this against set defenses and, and finishing with craft. And I mean, some really explosive finishes, such a fun alley-oop guy, especially in transition. Devonte hit him on a couple of those this season. I love that little wide pin down when Charlotte clears out a, a side has PJ set a pin for Malik and then Malik curls and either, you know, tries to get into the paint, gets the rim or can even dish off to, um, to PJ on a, on a little short roll. So I went B minus from Malik Monk. Um, some really uh, fun stuff to, to build on assuming, yeah, that he, that he's healthy. And, and like Spencer said, just in a healthy space, good head space going forward here. All right, let's shift our focus to our $58 million man uh, and Kimbo's replacement, <laughs> Terry Rozier here. Uh, and, and as I say that, I think it's a little bit unfair to judge him based on those things. I don't think anyone who watched Terry play yeah. uh, in Boston thinks that he's going to live up to this contract or or thinks that he's going to fill the shoes of Kemba. So I'm not going to factor that into my grade. So if you're factoring in his contract to your grade, listeners, I don't think that's a fair way to do it. But Spencer, uh, I'm going to let you start this off with Rozier. So go ahead and kind of give me your assessment of him. I, th- I mean, I think Rozier exceeded expectations this mm-hmm. year. I mean, yes, yeah, so you kind of mentioned that contract just a second ago, and that's certainly uh, everybody used that as their, you know, kind of their poster board material to, to laugh at him before the season. But, you know, I thought there was a chance that he was going to surprise some people and, you know, he, I think he did. <laughs> I think, you know, he, he was 40% from behind the arc on almost seven attempts per game. Uh, those the, Both those numbers are easily career highs. Um, you know, effective shooting of uh, just a little under league average. Uh, great from the free throw line. I mean, the guy scored 18 points a game. You know, brought down four and a half rebounds and over four assists. Terry's one of those guys, though. Uh, you you got to live in – you're just going to kind of live and die with him, you know, because – He's going to pound the rock. He's going to take bad shots. Um, you know, he's, he's not a high-level playmaker or a high-level decision maker, um, but he is a scorer. And I think that – I think he probably is a floor raiser. You know, if he's your second guard, which he is on this team, you don't feel great about how many games you're going to win. But, you know, if he's your third guard or he's your sixth man, I think that's a, that's a great that's a great place for him. So I'm interested to see where it goes – for Terry and the Hornets moving forward, you know, in this three-year deal, because I think the first year surprised some folks, you know, and then you, you dig into to some of the advanced numbers, you know, usage of almost 24, that's a healthy number. He, but 
it's kind of the same thing with Miles with, with Terry Rozier is he doesn't impact winning in a huge way. I think in the clutch now that that's not quite yeah. fair. I think in the clutch this season he impacted winning and maybe was the reason the Hornets that won Cleveland game. a lot more games. Yeah, yeah, Cleveland game is is probably Same. yes. That's ground zero for for some <laughs> of the uh, the real positive impact he made uh, down the stretch for the Hornets this year. But I mean, you just look at like the on off numbers. I mean. You know, it's minus nine uh, net rating on off, mm-hmm. and that that led the team uh, for any player in Charlotte that played over two thousand minutes you know, this year. So, for Terry, again, I think it's a very similar conversation to Miles. Is you know, you got to lock in defensively. You got to do the little things. You have to stay focused for as long as possible throughout throughout the the entirety of a basketball game, and and that's where he that's where he struggles. Yeah. Yeah, I give um well first off, I I give Terry like a, some amount of credit too because, you know, Richie, you referenced the contract. He comes over from Boston. He's already, you know, he's won a playoff series, a couple playoff series. He's you know, sort of like made a name for himself and and I know, you know, plenty of people, especially fans of Boston sort of were frustrated with Rozier by the end of his time there, enjoyed sort of, you know, mocking him on Twitter or whatever, but I still think you got to give him credit because he came in here with some rep in an eight-figure salary. And even after all of that, he was really willing early on to move off the basketball and let Devontae start pounding it. And I mean, like the time of possession numbers, the pick and roll usage, all that. We, we had a podcast a couple of months ago where we looked at all of the, we broke all those numbers down, just how how much of the, the offense, you know, Devontae really had the line share and to the betterment of, of Charlotte. I mean, Devontae was a far superior offensive player to Terry, but the movement shooting I think was really interesting. It was something that I wasn't quite expecting. Uh, 46% shooting on catch and shoots, almost four attempts per game is 25% of his field goal attempts off screens this season, 1.11 points per possession, 57% effective shooting off screens uh, among NBA players with at least 100 off-screen possessions. Terry Rozier, number five in the NBA, in efficiency off of screens, just ahead of J.J. Redick, just behind Doug McDermott, who went nuts this season. C.J. McCollum, Paul George, and Buddy Heald. So pretty good uh, company there. Spot-up possessions, spot-up no-dribble jumpers, 61% effective shooting. Spot-up dribble jumpers, 60% effective shooting, and 40% three-point shooting from above the break. But... Under 45% shooting at the rim, um, not a very good pick and roll decision maker. That's perhaps putting it kindly. You know, he loves to snake and and you know throw after that throw. Hey, you mean he's no Chris it. Paul snaking a pick and roll? What? He's no Chris Paul snaking a pick no, and roll. He's he's not even Markel Johnson <laughs> snaking a, a pick and roll. Jeez, Louise. Um, when Terry passed the ball to someone out of the pick and roll that finished the possession this season, Charlotte, uh, 0.83 points per possession. That was in the ninth percentile in the NBA, not the 99th percentile or even the 79th percentile, the ninth percentile and of players to use at least 100 pass pick and roll possessions. Terry was the worst in terms of efficiency. And he used over 300 of those pick and roll pass possessions as well too. So yeah, you see far better with this guy as, as an off ball mm-hmm. shooter, an off ball mover. You really, it'd be interesting to see what this guy would look like on with a, with a salary that was sort of scaled to this role too. But if he could be your fifth starter, 
and was just a guy that you used to had him run around, you know, look for rebounds defensively and just run around screens. And, and maybe he gets hot one night. We saw him have some some sort of like microwave scoring nights for the the Hornets this season. And clutch, his clutch numbers were, I mean, he got a little bit of luck with the three-point shooting, but 36, <laughs> yeah, 15 of 33 on three-pointers in clutch minutes this season, uh, 46%, which again, a little bit of luck, small sample. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what he would look like that. I wouldn't even, I don't even like him in the role as like guy that is like a an engine for a bench offense because there's still too much, you know, not like a, I don't want him like in a Lou Williams type role, mm-hmm. but in, in something that like, you know, that you see Landry Shamit do or for the Clippers, you know, or again, if he was your, your seventh or eighth guy or maybe your fifth starter, but just like a low usage spot yeah. up guy, you know, he could maybe, you know, he could maybe help you out. You know, obviously, once you factor in the contract and what Charlotte's asking him to do, which is still run a lot of pick and roll and stuff, too, it's going to it's gonna look ugly in the advanced numbers. We're not pretty. Yeah, and I think that's like a prerequisite to, to have, to, you know, to handle the ball. He's got he's got to be good at the pick and roll. And to be a point guard, you, you got to be yeah. good at the pick and roll. And, and that was the biggest thing that I noted. And kind of, Brian, you took my point here. He just doesn't have a plan when he's handling the ball out of the pick and roll. I think we mentioned this before on previous pods, but since the 11th game of the season, uh, when he was inserted into the, when Devante was inserted into the starting role, I feel like despite all his issues, his impact took off from that 11th game on. And Charlotte used him in ways that we weren't really typically expected him when he came over from Boston. And I I just kind of want to piggyback off Brian's point here. He did shoot 46% on three-point percentage uh, off the catch-and-shoot. And And of Mm -hmm. NBA players that took at least 175 catch-and-shoot threes, uh, he ranked fourth in the NBA behind uh, Redick, CJ, and Seth Curry. So, And also, also he shot over 40% for the first time in his career, which is crazy (laughs) to think about. Um, And he had his highest three-point percentage of his career. So I feel like he's done relatively well and exceeded expectations and he stepped into a little bit of a larger role on the offensive side. I'm going to go ahead and give Rozier a B-. I think he exceeded expectations. Uh, he had his best offensive you know, season of his career here, despite some of the things that have kind of frustrated us about his game. Um, yeah, I'll give uh, Terry Rozier uh, a C. I love the movement shooting and, and catch-and-shoot numbers. They're great. But just like the decision-making uh, off the dribble and out of the pick-and-roll um, and just – it. I mean, I know with Malik, I sort of diverted my eyes. It's selective attention on my part, I'll admit. With Terry, they're just so bad that uh, I have to deduct for that. So, uh, again, I was floating between a C- minus and a C, but I will go ahead and say uh, a C for Terry Rozier. And by the way, I love the thought of there being before this season, this NBA season, a potential prop bet of Terry Rozier's field goal percentage, like over under 40. at, you know, 39.9% or something like that. And just the kind of amount of fire you'd be comfortable to play with if you had actually taken the, uh, the over on that bet uh, this season. I'm going to, I'm going to give Terry a B here. I think that it, it's not easy to find guys, you know, regardless of maybe what some of the advanced stats might say. And certainly his decision-making leaves uh, much to be desired uh, with a basketball in his hands, but, but it's not easy to find guys to score 18 points a game uh, in this league. And certainly not easy to find guys that could shoot over 40% from behind the arc. Now we'll see if those catch and shoot numbers uh, continue uh, to trend anywhere uh, towards the direction that they, they started this year. But I think this was a good start for Terry and Charlotte um, you know, I think that the contract, again, is going to, you know, 
tie what the team asks him to do and the role that they give him. It's going to, you know, tie it to the starter ball handler, you know, type of role. But, you know, I am interested if Malik Monk can come back on uh, to this team next year and hit the ground running. Um, how does how does how does that minute allocation you know shake out between him and Terry and and how does he how do those two fit together? Who comes off the bench? Who doesn't? I mean, I, I think that's that's something interesting to watch entering next season. But I just think for what Terry for what the expectations were, we got to give the guy a little bit of credit. He came in and and he made a lot of shots for this team this year. Without Terry Rozier, the Hornets <laughs> they definitely are, don't have twenty wins to this point. Right. All right, let's shift our focus to Devontae Graham. Graham averaged 35 minutes, 18 points, three rebounds, and eight assists. Uh, He was a very heavy pick-and-roll player, really good playmaker for this team, and shot the ball well from deep, and he's going to be in the conversation for the most improved player. I think we can first say, all three of us, that no one expected this type of season from Devontae. I was actually relatively high on him as a rotational point guard, but you know, I couldn't have imagined this type of season and the way that he's performed so consistently uh, this season. I think most people, when evaluating Graham, probably want to start with his three-point shooting, but to me, the thing that impresses me the most you know, is his passing and his vision. I think, you know, not that this is any real indicator of how well he is as a passer, but he had the third most passes this season in the NBA. He was fourth in the NBA in total assist for the season. Uh, and according to B-Ball Index, he created 7.9 high-value assists per 75 possessions, placing him in the 98th percentile. Uh, and so a high-value assist is an assist at the rim assists for three pointers or an assist that leads to a free throw. And uh, he was 98th percentile in that type of category. And then back to his shooting, a uh, very good pull up shooter. And he was also a very good spot up shooter too, as well. So I think obviously as the season progressed, teams started to trap him hard and he had some frustrations with that. And we saw that with Kimba. So he's starting to see all these coverages as an, and now moving forward, the biggest question is, can he develop that in-between game? Because that's his biggest weakness right now. And if they trap him and he splits it, he really doesn't have anything in between because he shot just 49% at the rim and 33% uh, from mid-range. So he's got to at least get, get good at one of those things, whether it's the short mid-range game, the floater game, or scoring at the rim. But uh, he had no issues getting to the rim. He just couldn't finish there. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree, Richie. He's got to find something in between. Um, but here's a player, probably the first one, yeah, we talk about, you know, one of the guys that was a, a big-time contributor for this team this year, the biggest contributor, I think, and is a winning player, I, I think, for the most part. I mean, Devontae, you know, tw- over, 22, over 2,200 minutes uh, this year, has an on-off net rating of negative 4.5. That sounds bad, but when you look at the Hornets roster, that's actually one of the better numbers. This team was pretty good defensively, you know, like almost league average, a little below that, but almost league average when Devontae was out there. You know, he obviously was was the quarterback of this offense. Um, I think a lot of players, P.J. Washington being one of them, um, really benefited from teams paying extra attention to Devontae Graham, you know, being able to be, you know, P.J. getting that short roll area and show what he can do with, with his playmaking and shot making. So, you know, it's just we'll see moving forward with Devontae. I, I don't know if he's like one of the best 20 point guards in the NBA, you know, moving yeah. forward, if, if yeah. he can be that guy for Charlotte, I, I'm not sure. I, I think that if he can improve in that middle area with this floater game, get to the free throw line a little bit more often, figure out a way to finish the rim. I'm not like super confident that's going to happen, but I think the shooting is real. 
like we talked about this during, during his rookie season. He, I mean, the shooting numbers were awful during his rookie year, but the shot looked pretty good. He gets great lift on it. Um, he can get into it really, really quickly. You know, he's got that little hang dribble move or the sidestep or the step back. Now he's added these things like he can get into his shot against most defenders which is impressive for a guy that you're saying he's short he's not that athletic um so I, i'm kind of bullish on on Devontae being a long-term point guard in this league um and a potential starter but i mean what he did and he should be in the most improved player conversation in the nba no questions asked he won't win it i'm sure but to go from like ah, this guy probably doesn't belong in the nba to over 18 points a game and one of the best volume three-point shooters in the nba like that just that so rarely happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, you guys both said it perfectly. Uh, what else? I mean, it, what else can you say about this guy? He was he was freaking awesome this season. He was easily the team's best player in in a variety of different metrics. And if you just watch this team play, like you you know how important he was. Uh, a complete change in role, and it it. it made Charlotte look so differently um, this season. They would have been an absolute train wreck offensively without uh, Devontae Graham. Usage up to 25%, 17% as a rookie. Assist rate, 35%. I think that was somewhere in the top 10 of the league. That was 25% as a rookie. 7.7 assists per 36 minutes, and he's one of 15 players in NBA history to have a season with at least 500 three-point attempts and average over seven assists per 36 minutes. Some of the other guys to do that, Steph Curry, James Harden, Damian Lillard, Gary Payton, Trey Young. Yeah, I mean, who's, who the hell saw this coming? It's it's incredible. It's one of the cool stories in the league this season. If it had happened in a market that wasn't Charlotte, people would have been losing their cookies over it. Luck-adjusted offensive rating, Charlotte, plus 8.2 points better per 100 possessions with Devontae Graham on the court. That was number six in the NBA among players with at least 1,000 minutes this season. Chris Paul was led the league, but also Gallinari, Trey Young, Carl Anthony Towns and Devin Booker, number six on that list. Again, Devontae Graham. Um, Luck-adjusted net rating, uh, Hornets plus 6.8 points per 100 possessions better with Devontae Graham on the court. That was number 19 in the NBA overall among players with at least 1,000 or more minutes this season. 0.9 points per possession out of the pick and roll. Um Man, his pull-up shooting was so freaking good this season. It, it makes you wonder. You're like, God, if he had any in-between game or the rim game, just yeah. like how how fun of an offensive player he would be sort of already is. But he had over over 500 total points, according to Synergy, out of the pick and roll this season, just on his own. He was number 11 in the NBA, just in raw uh, pick and roll scoring. Yeah, 39% of his field goal attempts were pull-up threes. He shot 35% <laughs> as his rookie year, just 11 of 51 on pull-up threes. So, I mean, the volume and efficiency jump is just incredible. Uh, 84th percentile in the entire NBA in off-dribble shooting in the half court, uh, 51% effective shooting. I wonder what his role is. You know, is he um, you know, a starting point guard that, that ranks somewhere between 15 to 25 in the NBA, or is he – you know, an awesome bench guard, you know, a guy that, you know, is like a routinely like a six man of the year candidate, like a total useful piece, no matter what. And it'll be interesting to see where he slots into, if he's going to get to one of those levels, the being like a middle of the road starter in the NBA, you know, he's going to have to get better finishing uh, inside, inside the three point arc. But he's already, in my opinion, set up to be a, a really good 
scoring guard in the NBA for the next you know six seven years. Um, yeah, Devonte Graham, he was awesome. What this grade season. do you give him? I would give him an A. Okay, yeah, I'm giving him an A this season as well. I mean, obviously, if you relate that to other NBA players, uh, we're grading on a curve here. So he because he's got an A for me this season. He far exceeded uh, any expectations that we had for him. I'll go A plus. Yeah, Ooh, I mean, look at you. Just, yeah. I mean, you never see these kind of stories. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I mean, so this is so rare. He deserves. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, we've got a few more players left here, and these are kind of ones on diminished roles. So we'll kind of go quicker through these. Uh, Nick Batum, yes, he is still on the roster. He played (laughs) 505 minutes this season, which actually was the lowest of his career. But when he did play, four points, five rebounds, three assists. I think when looking at him, he is still a good playmaker. He is still a good rebounder for his position, and he's still someone I feel like is above average on the defensive side, even though he looks totally disinterested most of the times. I do have to give credit, and I think we mentioned this earlier in, a, in, a, in the season, but he and MKG could have easily yeah. tuned out. They were yeah. up congratulating players and encouraging the young players. So, mm-hmm. sure, we can factor that into the grading system here. But, again, non-factor on the offensive side, just kind of stands in the corner. You know, he's just not willing to kind of get in there and insert himself into the offense. Yes, he's always been that connector type of player, but he just needs to insert himself a little bit more. Um, he won't get to the rim. He's not someone that's going to want to go up against con- contact. But, you know, I, I got to take that away from him. And uh, sure, he didn't get consistent minutes this year, but his shot from deep was also lacking this season. So uh, I was almost going to give him an incomplete grade uh, because of how many few minutes he played. But I'm going to go ahead and give him a D minus, a D minus. So he's not an F, but he's not a D minus. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a whole lot to add here with you. Um, I, I think that it's been a while since I've had to talk about Nick Batum. I, I didn't miss it. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I just have, I don't really remember like a story of a player who was valued like he was, not just by the Horns. Again, we've talked about this before. Dallas was going to pay him the same contract. They're going to give him 120 million dollars in the summer of 2016. I'm just, I don't remember like a player who just almost completely fell off the face of the earth in terms of like interested in being involved in like in what was going on in the basketball court. I mean, just his disinterest <laughs> right. on the offensive end is just, it's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. And, and like good on him, like you said, to, you know, be a positive influence in the locker room and, and cheer, you know, cheer on these guys. But I don't know, man. I don't think I'll ever get over the, the Batum thing. That's just me. Like, I, I just <laughs> – it was just such a – it set this franchise back so far to have this contract go the way it has. And I just I just don't get what happened to him. I really don't. <laughs> I'll never understand it. You can't make me understand. He was a really useful NBA player for a decade. He really was, including that first season in Charlotte. He was, he was straight up good. He was a good player. In a different role, this guy is like a really, you know, if he could have had like the Iguodala role, it would have just totally like changed the, you know, the Iguodala and Golden State role. It would have just totally changed. If you could have copied and pasted him into that, it would have just changed his entire arc of, of how his career is thought about. Yeah, five, that five-year contract, even at the discount that he took, it's, you know, it's been a behemoth. Um, and it's, it's what else can you say about this guy? I think at least there's some honesty between, both with MKG and Nick Batum and the team where everyone, they didn't even shy away. It was brought up on the broadcast a couple times too. Like, look, these were business decisions. Like the team's making a decision to not play these guys because they got to play the young guys. And these guys are also going to take their options because it's literally too much money to say no to. And I thought everyone sort of tried to make the best of a, what is like a suboptimal situation. Um, 
but that's off the, you know, that, that's sort of like off the court and tangential to the court stuff uh, in terms of on the court performance. Like what else can you say about Nick Batum? I mean, his usage literally fell off a cliff at the end of last season. Um, I think it was like 4% usage in the last month of the season. You can find my tweets on that. It was, it was, it was literally insane. It fell uh, again, Brian, didn't it? Didn't it fall again? Yeah. Uh, 12% usage for the season. Uh, Nick Batum took 10 free throw attempts in 500 minutes this and year. Five of those uh, were at practice. I heard. It's zero. Yeah, as well. Someone's got to update. Under under ten this year. Even yeah, it's all time low and um, yeah. yeah, player efficiency rating also under ten. Zero zero point seven free throw attempts for thirty six minutes, which is just like uh, uh, Spencer. You brought this up about him like a year, a little over a year ago. But it's like he started even when he was in the rotation, he started hovering around like the one free throw attempt for thirty six minutes. You know, line. And you're like that's like out of like. That's like, you know, I'm ready for retirement levels of, of, of aggression. Um, took just 18 field goal attempts in the restricted area all season. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's hard to believe. Here it is. It's hard to believe, but we now have Nick Batum as, um, you know, soon to be an expiring contract. So uh, he, it becomes interesting to see if this is a guy that Charlotte can use uh, to flip in any sort of trade to add assets. Yeah. It's such you know, a big number. I think yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. Keller is the one to watch. I think yeah. seven for Batum. It's just too, it's too big. so hard yeah. to trade. Yeah. yeah. I'm with you. And well, that's that's the opposite, guys. Seller is the other expiring number two. Um, but yeah, we'll see. You know, we'll be interested to see if he ends up getting bought out, you know, at the, you know, whatever the buyout deadline looks like next season. And, you know, Nick Batum, what he looks like outside of a Charlotte uniform for the first time in a long time. But well, we still have a place to go. I can tell you right now, if if we see a buyout of Nick Batum and he starts contributing for some Western Conference team in the playoffs, like, that's going to be not good for my mental health. If, non, if non-zero chance of that happening, by the way, too. Like, <laughs> not, like, I, I don't think he's totally like used up as a player. I, I just think he's been in fucking coast mode for a couple of years now but we'll see but like you know maybe he really has you know played himself out of out of the league we'll find out we'll know more a year from now that's for sure so what are your grades for patoom i gave him a d minus you guys going incomplete or you guys going somewhere else i gave him a d i got incomplete here i I don't i don't he doesn't deserve a grade. To okay. <laughs> Jalen McDaniels totaled even less minutes, 293. He actually spent most of his time in Greensboro, uh, but when he was with Charlotte, he did average 18 minutes per game, six points, four rebounds, and one assist. Uh, I don't think we need to spend too much time on him, but there there is some intrigue with him. I think his length and his size for a wing-slash-forward type of player, uh, he's definitely suited to play that small ball four. Uh, he has kind of like that, I mean, not that he's this type of player, but he has that Kevin Durant feel to his game where you can kind of envision this like 6'10", lanky mm-hmm. wing forward that plays with some guard skills. Um, I did a, a YouTube video the other day on him, and, uh, you know, he wasn't too involved in the offense. It kind of just placed him in the corner, but he was a good shooter from behind the arc and, and converted at the rim. But, of course, this is a small sample size that we have to judge him on, on the minutes that he did play. I do like his scrappiness on the offensive glass and ability to kind of create those second-chance points. I feel like we have a lot of players on this on this team that do crash the offensive glass a lot. And then his length on the defensive side, on the perimeter, he does bother people with that. Um, so, really, there's just too much, too small of a sample size to kind of get excited about what he's been doing he definitely needs to bulk up a little bit i'm gonna go ahead and give Jalen mcdaniels an incomplete grade just because he played 293 minutes for me so what, what are you guys seeing out of him in the, in the limited minutes in charlotte i like mcdaniels i really do i mean i think there's something here maybe i mean the shooting you know is certainly 
uh, a plus. You know, I don't think I expected him to you know shoot thirty seven and a half percent from behind the arc. I mean, he was a good corner shooter, um, showed some ability to attack a closeout keep the offense moving with an extra pass or get to the rim. When he gets to the rim, uh, I think he's got some ability. Where I'd really – I don't want to focus too much on the numbers from McDaniels here just because it's such mm-hmm. a small sample. But, you know, if he can put on like 15 pounds of, of like solid weight muscle, I think you have a real rotational player here. Yeah. Like a 6'10", 225, 230. And, and that might be a stretch for his body type, which is very, very thin. But if he can put on healthy weight – um, I, I consider me very intrigued about if the Hornets got another second round prospect who can be on the roster and in the rotation, you know, you know, for, for four to five years. So I think the Miami game is a good one to go watch. You know, literally the last game of the season uh, is a really good one to go watch. And, and the game started getting more minutes uh, when Monk was pulled out of the rotation. Um, mm-hmm. Just Charlotte, Charlotte was desperate at that point, but I think there's something here. I do. I mean, I think he could be a, a, a prototype three and D wing. And and again, if he puts on that weight, I think he could be a really impactful defensive player. Yeah, you can see what Charlotte was going for, uh, like a three and D wing, a full three and D forward with like with even more sort of like length, with like with like you know 90th percentile length. You know, because he's so he's so tall and long. And so yeah, that is a really appealing player, especially if you can get a if you can find a rotation piece not just in the second round, but like outside the first like 10 to 15 picks of the second round. I mean, that when you sign that up to a cheapo second round pick uh, salary, all of a sudden, I mean, that, that, that is, that's really squeezing value uh, out of the draft late, late in, late in the, you know, it's not just selling off these picks that's finding value for these, these late round selections. Um, I think the Toronto game for him is interesting. He had two blocks, both on Ananobi in that game, one of which was on a closeout where he blocked a, a spot up three from Ananobi. The other one was on like a little like help side uh, post-up attempt at the, at the rim that he flew over and blocked. And I'd like to see even more of that, you know, can this guy be a, a help side rim protector along with having this sort of like, stereotypical three and D profile. Um, that's interesting in Charlotte in Greensboro this season for the swarm 60% effective shooting on spot up, no dribble jumpers, which is pretty good. 40% shooting on spot up shots where he drove to the basket. So that's not so good. But then again, a little bit more add a little bit more context to some of those catch and shoot numbers. And yeah, 60% effective shooting 78th percentile on spot up, no dribble jumpers playing for the swarm this season. So again, add that a little bit of encouragement, but yeah, I'll say incomplete too for, for McDaniels. What about you, Spencer? Oh, sorry. I didn't. Yeah. I'm going to go incomplete as well. And, And I will just add about McDaniels too. There were, there were two like guys that saw over 300 minutes, I guess this season that were actually, there's proof that they were impactful defensive players mcdaniels and cody martin so it's something to watch and those two together really good yeah yeah i'll be really curious we can talk about this more when we when we hit on cody martin next week but seeing depending on what the hornets do with that that number 32 pick you know if they go with one of these like defensive minded wings you know if they go with if aaron henry stays in his draft did you go with nate hinton or something or tyler bayer all of a sudden you're like man they could put some really cool uh, defensive lineups with Cody Martin plus one of these other young defenders out on the court together. And all of a sudden, it, you know, Devontae becomes easier to hide and you got PJ and stuff too. So that's just something to keep an eye out for down the road. Yeah, and then eventually you could push the pace a little bit more often by getting those stops. So yes. uh, yeah, let's exactly. wrap this up with uh, Dwayne Bacon here, upcoming free agent. Uh, he did get consistent minutes early in the season, but his role <laughs> dropped off 
drastically. Yeah. Uh, and he went to the end of the bench fairly quickly this season. Uh, when he did play, he averaged six points, three rebounds, and one assist. As far as positives, and I know this is very tough, and I want to try to highlight some positives from Dwayne Bacon this season. I guess I can say he was an average defender. I guess I can say he was like a... Mm-hmm good defensive rebounder for his size, but that's kind of where it stops for me, for Bacon this season. He took a big decline from his first two seasons. Like his first two seasons, he was very good at finishing at the rim. That dropped off drastically. I mean, he was still able to get to the rim, but he just was, you know, throwing up stuff, you know, in traffic. And then he also shot 43% from deep last season and that dropped to 29%. So I'm going to go ahead and give my grade for Bacon. I'm going to give him an F. Uh, He played enough minutes to give me uh, enough to kind of value him, and I'm giving him an F, uh, my lowest grade uh, on this episode. Yeah, this was a tough season for Dwayne. Um, you know, he came in with, with I think, with with relatively high expectations. You know, all you know, all things considered, and scaling it to to you know what a team that a lot of people thought was going to be one of the worst in the NBA. But uh, you know, he finished the season well last season, similar to Miles. You know, attacking closeout, his spot up numbers. Attacking closeouts last season were really good. Uh, he was he was right around 1.2 points per possession last season, uh, driving to the basket on spot ups. So again, he got hot playing around Kemba's gravity late in the season, and it's just like everything that could have happened wrong went bad for him this season. I mean, the shot profile was bad, but he got off to a just horrific start shooting the basketball. Then he got hurt in the middle of November. At that point, Devontae, he's shooting up. Now you have to have Devontae playing Malik. He's made some sort of a jump. Cody Martin's a winning basketball player. You got to get this guy on the court too. You've got Miles and PJ and all of a sudden Jalen McDaniels, you know, later in the year, Terry's, you know, a big salary on the wing uh, in town as well too. It just there was literally no spot for him, and maybe later in the year he sort of played himself back into the rotation a little bit. And his defense, I guess, was okay this season. But um, yeah, he just very quickly became a guy that had no real role in Charlotte. I actually I felt like a little bad for him, um, honestly, because I think he does some stuff okay defensively one on one, and at times he's flashed some offense. But I'll be honest with you, right now, like. In Charlotte, and I know you look. He, he may have played his last game for the Hornets. We, you know, we'll be interested to see what he what he does um, in uh, in free agency this off season. Um, but this is a guy that probably could have made himself some money this year, and it it just did not work out. And right now, he feels sort of like a prospect uh, without a home. Honestly, like he's about to turn twenty five. He takes a lot of mid-range shots. Only 24% of his field goal attempts this season came from beyond the arc. He was in the sixth percentile for wings. I'm not sure where this guy goes because even when this guy, even when uh, Bake goes to Greensboro for these, you know, these G League assignments, it just turns into Dwayne Bacon 30% usage and, and jacking up shots. It's like it, I don't even know where the responsible development is, is supposed to come in for this guy. So. Yeah, I, I'm, I think of, of all the guys on the roster, this is the guy that sort of had the biggest change in, in the wrong direction from, from 12 months ago to, to where we are now. Yeah, bingo on that last point. I think you made it about Greensboro. It's something I've thought about a lot with, with Bacon. Yeah. What has he really gotten from that developmental system? I think Dwayne Bacon is – because I think that the Hornets and, you know, credit all to James Brago and his staff, I think they established an identity this year. That, that'll go – that'll fly below the radar, you know, league-wide. But um, I'm not sure that this guy fits in uh, to what they want to do, to share the ball, you know, to, to switch and communicate defensively. But all that said, I, I do think that the Hornets might choose to pick up that $2 million-ish 
yeah. offer. Uh, yeah. Just because, like, what else are they going to spend that? Like, if you don't pick it up, okay, now you have an extra roster spot. But the, what are you going to sign a veteran minimum or like, yeah, you know, crap heap? Like he's yeah. he's been in your system. He showed some really solid flashes. I mean, we were all talking on our preview pod before this season that this is a guy that could potentially lead the team in scoring. Think about that. Now. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. So yeah. so like I, so yeah. all the negative. I thought you meant said, Greensboro is when you guys posed that question. I thought you meant Greensboro. So. I'm, I'm oh, yeah, right. Yeah, there you go. Good save. Good save. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> so anyways, I, I think it might be worth one more shot. Like pick up the qualifying offer, $2 million. Yeah. You're not trying to be good next year anyways. If you don't pick them up, now you got to go fill that roster spot with something else, some something else new. If it don't work out, then you move on after next year. There's no – like that's where Charlotte has a positive here. They can keep a younger, under-25-year-old guy in the pipeline for one more year. There's no rush. Let's see if it works out. If not, move on after next season. All right, what are your grades to finish this out? I gave Bacon an F. What about you, Brian? I gave him a D, scaling for some bad luck because of the injury. Yeah, I'm with Brian. I'll go D here. I also factor in some of the bad luck. All right, guys, thanks again for tuning in to another episode. Part two of this report card series will come out next week. And then we'll probably get back into some draft stuff. So have a good one, guys.